Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles. I'm Angela. And I'm Kerry. And on the show today, we've got uh, we've got Mari from Getting Her Ears. Hi, Mari. Hi. How are you nice doing? Nice to be here. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great, great to be on the the Bug Eye podcast. Well, it's it's great to have you on on here, um, and it actually being a podcast episode that goes out because I'm not sure if you remember, but like a couple of years ago, me and Paula were going to do like a sort of music podcast radio show where we essentially recorded a few episodes, had you on as a guest and then just didn't do anything with the recording. So I promise that that won't be the case this time. I remember talking a lot about Portishead and uh, Echo Beach. Oh, yes. Yes, that was it. I asked you to bring along like a, a, a guilty pleasure or something, wasn't it, of music. And you came along with, with yeah Echo Beach, and it's like that's just such a cool song. So I would have had something by Steps, and you had <laughs> yeah something really really that's not, not like embarrassing or anything. So <laughs> just just shows how cool Mari is. Ah, uh, thanks. <laughs> no, I probably I was just covering up my real guilty pleasures with something yeah. that sounded cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to if, if next time I'm over at your your house, I'll just have to like sneak off and look through your record collection and take photos and stuff and start posting about it. Yeah, this is yeah. what she really likes. <laughs> the true Mari. <laughs> <laughs> so, what has everyone been up to today? Uh, what have I been up to today? I made an effort to actually get up at a reasonable hour this morning for the first time in a while. Uh, did some drum practice, went for a walk where I got stung to death by stinging nettles and ripped up by brambles. So that was good. What sort um, of walk was that? Like climbing the, through bushes? The kind, the kind of walk where we've basically walked every possible footpath within like a certain radius of the house. And therefore we're starting to explore the sort of lesser used paths which mean that they're not really paths anymore. So we were pretty much just scrambling through the forest. So today. you're basically making your own path and destroying much. the countryside. That is exactly what was happening, yes. Shame and the countryside you. was destroying me at the same time. So I think that it was an equal battle, if I'm being honest. And uh, what, what did you get up to, Mari? Um, I was working um, all day, really, quite a long day. Um, but did manage a little walk around the cemetery, <laughs> which is our our daily walking place because it's the only <laughs> quiet kind of place with nature that we can walk to at the moment. Um, but it's nice. We normally see a fox there, uh, which is the highlight of the day. <laughs> I I saw a badger on my walk the other day, which was unusual. It was the middle of the day. It was clearly a badger that didn't realise it wasn't supposed to be out during the day. Um, and yeah, it was just chilling by the side of the footpath. I got quite close to it before it sort of, and then it, even then it didn't like dart and run away. It sort of like ambled off slowly. Oh, wow. I was going to say, it just stayed still. It was one of those like plastic garden things. Really. <laughs> well, I did. I, I, I sent Angela a picture and her response was, looks fake. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never seen a live badger before. I don't think. No, no. I've, only, I've seen them. I've seen them from the like live from the car. 
like kind of along the sides of the road late at night and stuff but definitely never seen one just sort of wandering around during the day maybe they were always daytime creatures but because there were too many people around they just only came out at night and now that COVID night you're gonna see all of these animals that we thought were nocturnal that are just chilling during the day could be I I personally think that this was like a rebellious teen badger that like was like screw you I'm gonna sneak out during the day that's kind Mm. of what I felt was happening Moving on, actually, I think we've run out of conversation on that topic. You know, <laughs> I think that's like most people. It's like, what do you talk about after, you know, the basics, nothing, silence, until the next day? <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to start off with some, some music. Um, well, we didn't really, that's a lie. We started off with some chat. But uh, we're going to play some new music now. And Mari's brought along a couple of tracks. Um, so which one are you going to play first, Mari? Um, I'm going to play Libra Libra uh, with their track Panic by. Uh, Libra Libra are a band from Brighton. Uh, and yeah, I'm a massive fan. They played for us at the Finsbury at one of our gigs um, in December. And um, the Charisma front woman, who's called Beth as well. Um, yeah, she just like blew me away with her kind of stage presence and charisma and energy. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're ones to watch, definitely. Um, and this song, Panic By, was just written at the beginning of lockdown and it's kind of angst-driven, frenzied, um, kind of cacophony. But, yeah, I love it. Uh, I love Libra Libra. <laughs> Just out! 
So that was Libra Libra. Um, fantastic band, Murray. Thanks for bringing them along. I think what I got from that was, uh, I suppose I'd describe it as beautiful chaos, really. Yeah, superb drumming in there. Like crazy, yeah. fast, even a bit of a disco drum beat comes Ooh, in. Cheeky, cheeky disco beat. Yeah, it's quite actually quite different from a lot of their other a lot of their other stuff is more electro sounding and that yeah. one's more like raw. Kind oh, of really? Punk inspired. Oh. So, yeah, it's yeah. It was a great. It was a great song. Definitely, get, definitely going to check more of them out. Where do, do they have? Uh, do you know what their social media handles are? Yeah, it's just Libra Libra, all one word. Um, so Libra times two, um, and I think. They're, they're very active on social media as well. So they've got a new song coming out next week, I think. So keep your ears peeled for that. Definitely. Brilliant. I'll definitely be checking out that single. Uh, I really, really like that track that you just played. Um, so I guess for those that have joined us, we have Mari from Getting Her Ears as a guest this week. Getting Her Ears are absolutely fantastic and we're big fans. But for those people that uh, perhaps are listening from outside the UK who might not be aware of what Get In Her Ears is, Mari, would you like to to summarise what Get In Her Ears is for those listeners? Um, Get In Her Ears is uh, a website, radio show and gig promoter dedicated uh, to supporting and promoting women and non-binary people um, in new music. Um, so obviously with lockdown, it's a bit different because we can't do the radio show at the moment, um, because we can't get to the studio and I can't put on gigs. <laughs> um, but we're still putting up new music on the website every day, um, and trying to promote as many female or, um, non-binary artists as possible. Um, created it because we thought, you know, they're, there should be a platform to, for that and they didn't previous blogs we sort of worked for they didn't seem to be um that space kind of dedicated to it and it's all sorts of genres as well isn't it so it's not it's not necessarily one type of of guitar music that you that you write about there's like a real mix, mix yeah there, which is what I really love about the site yeah, it's quite, yeah, we try to, there is, we're not limited to any specific genre and the three of us, so it's myself, Kate Crudgington and Tash Walker that um, founded Get In Her Ears and we all have quite an eclectic taste between us so we try to cover, yeah, anything really, um, as long as we kind of, as long as we like it, <laughs> we'll feature it, we're not limited really. Getting Her Ears is a fantastic radio show on Hoxton Radio, right? Yes, yes, it's on Hoxton Radio. Normally it would be every Thursday, 7 till 9 on Hoxton Radio. Um, at the moment, it's not, um, but we are posting like throwback Thursday old radio shows every week on our socials at the moment. So you can listen back to them all. Um, if you want to. So definitely, definitely check out Get In Her Ears. Um, and it's not just a radio show uh, that you can listen back to now, but there's there's obviously the reviews on the site and there's playlists on Spotify that you've put together as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's been keeping me entertained anyway. So today we've got um, three features for the show. 
and I will try so hard to not ramble as I as I always do. But you know, it is called Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles, so I do feel like you've signed up for this, so <laughs> can't really complain. Well, moving on, we've got we've got three features for the show as Kerry downs a bottle of coronavirus. Um, <laughs> are you keeping them afloat, Kerry? What Corona beer? Yeah, this is the first Corona beer I've had in a long time. I just it was a hot day, and I felt like Corona would be a good shout. That's mm. nice, refreshing. <laughs> exactly right. Anyway, sorry, I keep interrupting myself. That's how bad this show is. Um, I can't even finish my own sentence. So, um, yeah, we've got three features today. Um, I'm going to be talking about this day in music. So, yeah, basically a bit of lazy research on my on my part for this this week. And Mari, what will you be talking about? Um, I'll be talking about uh, Kathleen Hanna um, and kind of specifically the documentary, The Punk Singer, uh, which is about Kathleen Hanna. Um, yeah, I've generally put off trying to talk or write about her too much because I'm such a super fan, I'm worried about doing her justice, but I'll, I'll try not to ramble too much as well. <laughs> I'll just start I don't, I don't, saying how I much I love her. I don't think it's possible to ramble as much as as I do really so uh and, yeah. and Angela is queen rambler yep. for sure yep yep the amount uh, ends up getting and, edited out <laughs> and I am gonna try not to ramble too much about the song ghost town by the specials and sort of the the background to the song and the story sort of around the song in terms of what was happening kind of culturally around that time and within the band as well and you've got some new music haven't you Kerry I do have some new music. I'm going to play a song by The Vegetable Collective. All right, well, who wants to go first? Met met with silence on that. (laughs) Does anyone have a preference? I don't have a preference. Yeah, whichever seems to work better. Yeah, I don't mind. Whatever. Do you want to go first, Kerry? I mean, you're talking about one song. How long can it be? Oh, don't (laughs) don't challenge me, Angela. (laughs) I can draw it out if that's what you want. Oh, well, I, I remember the uh, Nina Simone episode. Ooh. <laughs> just waiting for it. Just waiting for it. All right, let's get into it then. So, um, Ghost Town. Brilliant song. Absolutely love it. It was released on the 12th of June, 1981. And the song spent three weeks at number one and 10 weeks in total at the top in the top 40 of the UK singles chart. It was also named single of the year for the year 1981 by Melody Maker, NME and Sound, which were sort of uh, the three top weekly music magazines at the time. Um, And with all that in mind, sort of not necessarily a song you would expect to be sort of such a hit single based on how it sounds. It sort of doesn't sound like your, your typical hit single necessarily. But um, I think that it's sort of the reason that it was so successful is that it sort of perfectly encapsulated the mood of what was happening at that time with themes of urban decay, deindustrialization, unemployment um, and violence in the inner cities. So uh, the song was written by the keyboard player, uh, Jerry Dammers, who was sort of the, the principal songwriter in the specials. And this is a quote um, that he sort of, what he said about sort of what the inspiration was behind the song. So he said, uh, the country was falling apart. 
He travelled from town to town and what was happening was terrible. In Liverpool, all the shops were shuttered up, everything was closing down. Margaret Thatcher had apparently gone mad. She was closing down all the industries, throwing millions of people on the doll. We could actually see it by touring around. You could see that frustration and anger in the audience. In Glasgow, there were these little old ladies on the streets selling all their household goods, their cups and saucers. It was unbelievable. It was clear that something was very, very wrong. So I just thought that that quote sort of paints a good picture, I suppose. Also, kind of feels really relevant to now with uh, death on the high street and all that. Yeah, for sure. And a number of other things closing down. I mean, obviously, you know, BC, someone said before Corona (laughs) virus, which I quite like. (laughs) BC, um, I think that was on the Red Handed podcast. So sorry, girls, I did steal that from you. Um, Very, very apt. No, I do. I I think, yeah, I think that it totally captured the mood of of that particular time, which I'm going to get into a bit more. But also, like you say, is very feels very relevant now, which is sort of why I chose it um, as well. Not only sort of, I think it reflects what, like you say, what you see right now of sort of the city's pretty, you know, streets being empty. Feels exactly like, like, you know, what you hear in Ghost Town. And also I think is maybe sort of a, you know, the song you could almost see as like a foreshadowing of what's going to come down the line as well, where we are going to see, you know, economic decline and a rise in unemployment and businesses shutting down. So it sort of feels... Yeah, it kind of feels like we're we're coming back to to the same sort of situation in which the the song resonated so much at the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, unemployment figures um, had risen to two point five million um, in the space of a year, and unemployment among ethnic minorities had risen uh, by eighty two percent in the same period. Um, so in the first week of April, police in Brixton introduced a stop and search policy. Uh, and in the space of six days, 943 people, mostly black, were stopped by plainclothes officers. Um, and that led to rioting in Brixton that broke out on April the 10th, um, with more than 5,000 rioters being involved. And there were 280 police injuries, 45 members of the public injured, um, and hundreds of people arrested. And then following that, um, between the 3rd and 11th of July, serious rioting, rioting, not rioting, that's not a word, <laughs> Uh, rioting broke out across uh, all over the country, you know, everywhere from Birmingham to Liverpool, London, Manchester, um, just all over the country, really. Um, and it was sort of in, in the middle of all of this. So, you know, there's sort of so much that's wrong in the country and people are angry and, and rioting. And it was in the middle of all of this um, that the song was released. And then by the evening of uh, the 10th of July, Ghost Town became a number one single. Um, and you can just see it in, you know, Obviously, the song wasn't written about what was happening in terms of the riots, right? Because the riots hadn't happened yet when the song was written. And Jerry Dammers had spent about a year writing the song. Mm. So as much as it did, you know, he did write it about sort of the mood at the time and what was happening. It almost felt like he sort of predicted what actually ended up happening. And it sort of just was one of those sort of perfect storms, really, where, where the song came out in the middle of all of this, you know, and the lyrics say... Government leaving the youth on the shelf. This place is coming like a ghost town. No job to be found in this country. Can't go on no more. The people getting angry. And so it was almost like, you know, pop music was sort of commenting on the news as it happened was sort of what it felt like at the time. And I think that that's a big part of why this sort of quite unusual song to be, it's not a pop song really Mm. in so many ways, you know, had so much success. Um, Because yeah, there's, this kind of discordant nature of the song 
echoed the the discord of of society um but it also sort of echoed what was happening within the band as well mm-hmm. and uh you know this was sort of the the tip of success for the specials in a way but it was also that sort of the end of them because uh within the band sort of the internal tensions uh were coming to a head when the single was being recorded and it was the last single that was recorded by the original seven members of the group before they split up. Um, so the specials were created with an aim to integrate white and black music at a time full of sort of racial tension by combining elements of ska, which was the music popular in Jamaica in the 60s um, and was the precursor to reggae with elements of punk um, and to sort of create a new genre and attendant youth cult uh, kind of culture uh, that was called Two Tone, and was that name came from the name of the the specials record label, um, which was a nod to their multiracial lineup, um, and then obviously bands such as sort of the Selector Manners, the Beat, and Bad Mamas, Bad Manners, all sort of trailed in their wake. So, um, on their second album, more special stammers then began to experiment a bit more with with their sound, wanting to infuse it with elements of, of jazz and sort of easy listening music vibe to it which kind of not all of the band really agreed with. And Ghost Town was an extension of this. Um, You know, it's kind of got the discordant jazz chords on the organ in the opening, the stabbing horns, which were influenced by uh, soundtrack composer John Barry and the sort of eerie, almost Middle Eastern sounding synth riff. And then what is sort of the chorus is sort of this harrowing, wailing sort of um thing which Damas said was supposed to sound like a prophecy of doom so none of those things are really things that you expect to hear in sort of your typical like radio hit single um and when they were recording it the band sort of weren't cooperating because they didn't think it was good <laughs> essentially mm. when they were recording it um you know all of those elements for them it was all straying too far from what they felt like the band was about so you know but for Dammers, he had carefully worked out and composed all the different parts over the space of sort of a year and he thought it was genius which it, I mean it was um but members of the band you know would re- were refusing to try the parts they would insist that the the discord sounded wrong and at one point the the guitar player um Roddy tried to kick a hole through the wall of the control room so Jeez. yeah they they really weren't getting on. Um, and I feel like you can almost hear that in the music as well. Um, it, like that tension sort of carries through all of these things. Like I say, I just feel like this song was such like a perfect storm, I suppose, of, of everything that was happening at the time. And then there were also sort of other pressures on the band with guitarist Linville Golding being injured in a racist attack in South London. Um, there was too much drink and too many drugs in the dressing room. They had a tendency to invite audience members on stage, which started off as something that was a fun part of their their shows, but it just kind of got too out of hand and dangerous, whereby it got to a point where just, you know, the whole audience was trying to get on stage within the first few songs of the set. So it just wasn't really working anymore. And they pretty much had quit touring, I think, kind of before this because of that. Um, you're going to like this part, Angela. Uh, the bassist, the bassist uh, Horace Panther joined a cult. Ah, um, <laughs> I still need to do my cult episode. I know. So he he joined a cult called, I, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, I did check it and I've forgotten it already, but I think it's Exegesis. Sounds brilliant. Um, oh. I know, right? <laughs> so I think it was like one of these sort of like self-help 
Tight they all pumps. are. They all are. Haven't you seen the, yeah, the back, so. Bik- Bikram yoga and the? Got all the no, I haven't yet. It's on my you list. Have to, to watch, watch it. I will do. Um, so yeah, they uh, he had joined a cult and was giving kind of giving them all his money, and everyone was obviously stressed about that. Um, and so yeah, so by the time it came to their top of the pops appearance um, for Ghost Town, uh, Neville Staple, Terry Hall, and Linville Golding all just announced that they were leaving the band. And that was kind of the end of it, really. And they've obviously have reformed, um, you know, since and done shows and stuff, but never with, um, yeah, they've never all been together again. Sort of, Mm. I think Jerry Dammers and the drummer sort of worked on another album after the others left, um, which I think came under maybe the special AKA rather than the specials. And just Um, one, one moment, for those that don't know, Top of the Pops used to be like a weekly music show that, that ran until, I think it ran into the the two thousands actually, yeah. and it was yeah, it's something like that. And it was it was the show that we'd all watch to see who was going to be number one, and uh, you'd have people performing on there. But normally there was a lot of miming going on. <laughs> uh, so what I was going to say, Kerry, when you said they announced that they uh, their performance of t- not not I was gonna say, not like in the performance. the music was playing and they, like, their lips were going, we're breaking out, we're not doing. <laughs> No, like they announced, like they announced to Jerry Dammers that they were okay. going to leave the band, sort of before or after the performance or whatever in the dressing room. Okay. Um, I I had never thought about the fact that there might be people that don't know what Top of the Pops is. Well, yeah, we did we did get one email. Um, actually, we've had a couple of emails that have come in saying, you know, oh, you you spoke about this. What what does that mean? And I can't remember what it was. And I was going to do a correction on air actually about that. Not correction, but a bit of information. Um, but yeah, we just need to be aware that you know people don't always understand. People don't. <laughs> yeah. What on earth we're talking about? <laughs> I feel like I'm. I feel like it, I, I'd be surprised if people ever really understand what we're talking about. Not because, like, on, on because of us, not because of them. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, so yeah. So I mean, that sort of you know the whole the story of of what was happening around that song, and it's a song that that I love and that I thought of because it does feel relevant at the moment. Um, you know, me and my friends did did a sort of online cover of it um, for that reason, because we were like, oh, let, we want to do something. Um, we were like, what, what's a song that, that feels like it would be a good sort of lockdown song? And Ghost Town was the first one that sort of sprung, the, sprung to mind. And it is one of those songs that I think keeps coming back for that. I think yeah. it's just such a brilliant song for so many reasons. Like it has such like a a definite sort of mood to it of like sort of hopelessness and it's so dark and it does just feel like it will keep resonating at, at different mm. times. Yeah. Um. And yeah, especially at the moment, I think as if anything is more of a foreshadowing of, of what's to come. I think it will feel more relevant in, in six months time probably than it does even now. Well... Well, listen to this. When you were um, when you were speaking, I was googling. Um, <laughs> but it's because no, I just I just thought when you were talking about sort of ghost towns and the stuff that was going on in the eighties, and I, I did I did Google um, something about unemployment uh, due to COVID nineteen, and the Guardian had a rather cheery article here. It says UK unemployment to double and economy to shrink by fourteen percent. Bank outlined scale of COVID-19 shock in 2020 with forecast of deepest recession in 300 years. Uh, 
300 years. That, that sounds positive. <laughs> and it goes on to talk about, you know, historical bank estimates for GDP dating back to the 18th century. It was like, what? And then I was about to Google what were the top jobs um, in the 1800s. Um, just to maybe give us a glimpse of which careers might be options for us. Because <laughs> clearly, like, if if it's going to be that bad, we're not going to have the internet and no one's going to be able to afford it. So, uh, yeah, we might go back to horse and cart and, uh, yeah, who knows? Who but knows? Top, I'd want to Google this, but maybe, i tell you what, why don't you play uh, your song, Kerry, while I look up top jobs from the 1800s? Okay, perfect. Um Cool. So sort of, um, yeah, in a similar-ish vein in terms of uh, musical style uh, to Ghost Town, I decided uh, I wanted to play The Vegetable Collective um, today, which is a band that we played with um, a little while back at a Camden Rocks uh, festival event. And uh, we'd never heard them before. Um, that gig but they are absolutely brilliant they are so much fun live um they're basically just a party in a band um and they uh they describe them so they describe themselves as a raucous quintuplet of north london warehouse dwellers who combine ska punk dub and rap to create a manic live show that is unmercifully demanding of your skanking boots which i think is a totally fair description of what they are So uh, let's have a listen to this song uh, about noisy neighbours called Noise Complaint. We're coming, we're coming, we're coming for you Oh no! I 
that was Noise Complaint by the Vegetable Collective and their album Absolute Hits, 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 Hits and More Hits will be out later this year, um, which sounds good. But yeah, what did you think? I really liked it and I totally remember them now from, from the gig. We, we play with so many bands that, you know, I think it's probably impossible to remember the names of everyone. But um, no, they were they were absolutely energetic on stage and definitely had the crowd moving more than any other band yeah i feel uh, like yeah. i seem i seem to remember them wearing sunglasses with one lens missing yes yes That's they did right, yeah? they did yeah. i remember that about them um yeah and it just being really fun there's a there's a part of that song which you know i don't know whether it is or not but sounds to me like it's very much influenced by ghost town um after the after the chorus there's sort of like um some some discordant chords that that sound like the opening of Ghost Town to yeah. me, but I might just be making a link because I want to. <laughs> I think I think that's probably the case. You can make but up your own minds. I think more importantly, um, where where are they on social media? Uh, they are the Vegetable Collective. Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't imagine they would need to add anything else to that name. I doubt it would already be taken. It's quite unique, so, yeah. Yeah, the Vegetable Collective on Facebook, Instagram. You can find them on Spotify. Go stream, follow, like, do all of the things. 1st of June, which will be a few days after this podcast comes out, there are no fees on Bandcamp. So, you know, please go and actually buy a physical thing from vegetable collective or any of the bands you hear on the shows or any bands you've heard of because buying physical music actually makes the biggest difference to bands because we get fuck all from the streaming platforms and streaming platforms are great for promoting bands so I'm really not knocking them in that sense but it's not it's not the way that you know everyday bands will make back what they're spending on on recording it's if people actually buy a cd or a download, or some vinyl, or a t-shirt, or something like that. So that's that's my rant on that one over. So back to jobs from 1800s. Um, here we go. So the top jobs, according to Google, is a farmer. Yeah, we still have those. Blacksmith, butcher, bricklayer, carpenter, clocksmith, um, clock fisherman. Smith. Yeah, no, there's better ones. Barber, doctor, teacher, bookmaker, lawyer, coach, driver and clerks. Pretty much the same. Um, but then will these jobs make a comeback, do you think? Right. Uh, so these are 10 jobs that no longer exist. Bowling alley pin setter. And I have to say that's not from the 1800s. That's just generally a job that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I was about to say, what? <laughs> Uh, my favourite, human alarm clock, <laughs> ice cutter, rat catcher. Well, we still have those. That's rent to kill. Um, they just do it in a different way. Lamp lighter. Will we go back to switchboard operator? Probably, Probably not. Yeah. No. 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 I, I am kind of a human alarm clock for my husband because he doesn't generally hear the actual alarm clock, so... Do have to? <laughs> you just don't get paid. You just don't get paid. It was no. a job, Mari. Doing it, it was a free. job. It was. If I if if I have to choose a job from the eighteen hundreds, I'm going to be a clocksmith. I've decided. 
I could just yeah. imagine. Would you would you make would you make like those like cuckoo clocks and the ones with the little people that you know when it strikes the hour and the little people swivel around? The, I mean, like I mean, Swiss, I'll, pro- I'll probably clocks or something. I think. I mean, I'll probably start small and just get you know a clock to work first because. I've never made a clock before. But yeah, if, if I get ambitious, I, I'm, I'm up for that. I'll make all sorts of clocks. You know what? I stand corrected because I'm looking back at the 1800s, like a picture. I've, I've now gone deeper into this and I might have to do like a spin-off podcast series on the 1800s. <laughs> but they did have bowling alleys and there were people. There's They actually all look like little children um, who are all setting... Um, Oh, and there's a wonder. We've got to put this on Instagram. There's a wonderful picture of the human alarm clock, which is a man with a big stick, and he's just hitting a window. <laughs> so, um, oh, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I like that. I think I think that's what I'll do. I'd like to do that. Just go around and just not not. Pe- when people haven't asked you to, but just go, just go around yeah, exactly. and bang on people's windows in the morning. Just no, when, really after I've done a off. podcast and I'm really yeah. drunk, I'm just going to get a big stick. <laughs> wake up, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm totally getting lost. But OK, we need, we need to move on. It's, stop, yeah. stop talking about the 1800s. This is a music podcast. Move on. <gasps> Resurrectionist? And there's people digging up bodies. Oh, body snatchers. Okay, right, we really need to work on this. It's going to dark places. Okay, (laughs) I I think Mari, I think I I just need to shut up for a bit. So I think I think perhaps you should do your 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 little tale, which is a true thing. Yeah, it's not I having said I dramble, I don't think I've got as much detail to say as Kerry. That's a good thing. Not not a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) But feel free to butt in or whatever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm going to talk about um, my hero, uh, Kathleen Hanna, the documentary The Punk Singer, um, which was made in 2010, I think, and it's a film about Kathleen Hanna. And as I said before, yeah, I've always sort of held off talking about her or writing anything major about Kathleen Hanna as she is just kind of so much of an inspiration that I'm always worried about doing her justice and yeah saying the wrong thing and being embarrassed (laughs) um so yeah I've been a fan of Bikini Kill um and La Tigra which were two bands that Kathleen Hanna was the front person of since I was about 16 I guess um though I actually knew of La Tigra first and then kind of through them found Bikini Kill and my love of the Riot Girl movement and everything that Kathleen Hanna kind of did for the Riot Girl movement and kind of women in music. Um, But about five years ago, um, watching the documentary The Punk Singer kind of changed my life. it's a documentary, as I said, about Kathleen Hanna, about her musical endeavours um, and part in the right girl movement and her often unpublicised friendship with like other musicians such as Kurt Cobain um, and Kim Gordon. Um, but off, um, especially um, it's kind of focuses on her diagnosis with Lyme disease and how she dealt with that. Um, so the film kind of covers... Um, it starts off with Kathleen 
kind of at university and then her part in the right girl movement and creating zines as a part of that uh, sort of forming Bikini Kill with Toby Vale. I think Toby Vale and Kathy Wilcox, the bassist initially, sort of wanted to start a band and then asked Kathleen to to be a part, to be their singer, because she thought she'd have a lot, lot to say <laughs> and a lot of energy to give. Um, and obviously, Bikini Kill are sort of now famous for their kind of girls to the front policy um, and promoting safe gigs for for women and girls in kind of so um bikini Kill kind of came after or kind of during the whole grunge movement and rock and gigs being a slightly kind of aggressive place of mosh pits and kind of male dominated kind of aggressive spaces or spaces that more less physically strong people might feel vulnerable or whatever so um, Bikini Kill are kind of famed for their girls to the front policy and creating those safe spaces for women. The film kind of charts kind of Kathleen's life from then um, but I kind of I find the documentary particularly resonant um, as kind of someone else living with the chronic illness and her having Lyme disease and it really resonates with me um, and kind of I just watch tend to watch the punk singer whenever I need picking up or motivation to kind of keep going and find it quite like a cathartic emotional release watching it and Kathleen Hannah's dealing with with her diagnosis and all the inspiring things she's done before and after that. So when she was diagnosed, so what? How did she cope with that? What sort of things did she she do? Well, she it was kind of quite a long process of before she got diagnosed. Um, cause she stopped. She stopped performing in two thousand and five with La Tigra because um, she felt so unwell, but kind of didn't really tell anyone except her husband um, Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys um, how ill she felt. Um, but she, they're on tour in 2005 and she completely lost her voice. Um, and then kind of so began like about five years of myths diagnosis and her feeling too unwell to perform and kind of with different doctors telling her different things and not getting to the bottom of why she was feeling so unwell. Um, and then in 2008, at a planned parenthood march, which she was meant to talk at, she completely lost kind of the ability to speak and felt like she was having a stroke. Um, Jesus. But when, yeah, uh, when she got taken to the hospital, the doctors kind of passed it off as a panic attack. Um, so then she kind of just carried on having more and more tests before she was diagnosed with late stage Lyme disease. Um, kind of five years after she'd started feeling unwell so it was a long quite a long period of yeah her not knowing what was wrong with her um, um, but yeah it's quite heartwarming to see her strength and bolstered by her husband Ad Rock and like their relationship as well um, which is documented in the film um, but yeah her kind of struggle with doctors to be diagnosed and that fear of like living with something unidentifiable um, is something that I can relate to and I'd imagine lots of women especially can relate to of kind of going to doctors and being 
kind of passed off as you know not telling the truth or exaggerating about how you're feeling um which kind of reminds me of my own experience with endometriosis um although it's a very different condition um it kind of took years to diagnose and had doctors kind of not taking it seriously um so those kind of feelings that Kathleen Hanna discusses in the punk singer are quite familiar um but um one quote that seems quite poignant from the documentary um, when she's speaking about like how long it took her to open up to her friends and the people she knew about her illness. Um, she says, I just think there's this certain assumption that when a man tells the truth, it's the truth. And when as a woman, I go to tell the truth, I feel like I have to negotiate the way I'll be perceived. I feel like there's always the suspicion around a woman's truth, the idea that you're exaggerating. And that just seemed quite resident, not only in, not only in getting diagnosed with illnesses, but in the kind of telling stories of te what's like the culture of victim blaming and not believing women's stories of mm -hmm. being harassed or abused. Yeah. And, um, it's no, quite absolutely. a poignant um, quote. Um, but I can imagine with Lyme disease how incredibly frustrating it it must be um, to get a diagnosis of, of that. Um, and, you know, just, just even from Googling, like some of the things that people have been accused of is, is being hypochondriacs and... Uh, all sorts of terrible things, and, uh, and the same, and the same with um, endometriosis that you yeah. were talking about is so often misdiagnosed and not mm -hmm. taken very seriously, and takes a long time to to get to a diagnosis. And kind of why I don't know why should it be that way? It always seems to be things that that women suffer from that there's just less research around and and less sort of mm -hmm. you know good understanding of of, of diagnosing and, and dealing with those things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, even though, yeah, Lyme disease is a specific condition in itself. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was. It can resonate with lots of people who've had varying experiences of mm -hmm. different conditions and illnesses. Definitely, um, and yeah, with yeah, with endometriosis because it is a specific female yeah. condition and can mm -hmm. be passed off as just having heavy periods or just yeah. being yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, my 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 ex um, suffers from 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 that, and one advice she got from a doctor was it would be so much better if you just had a child. Yeah, I've had that advice a lot. Go and have That's a baby. Insane. Go and have a baby. Like, sit. Sorry, it's just like. Wow. What, what do you mean? What? Yeah, just have a child, and then, and then I don't know, give it up for adoption, send it down the mines. You <laughs> know, say, we're that, going back that's... to the eighteen hundreds. Why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's actually true that 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 there isn't no. it won't cure it. So I'm doing inverted commas on radio <laughs> podcast. Yes, <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, watching Kathleen in the punk singer is always yeah very uh, inspirational um, and motivational. Um, she a lot of it is made up of like home videos that Adrock, her husband, has filmed um, of her at home, kind of when she's ill and reacting badly to medication. Um, and these those bits are really moving to sort of yeah see 
her at her weakest and she kind of made the film to try and highlight kind of common misconceptions mm. surrounding the disease and kind of people's disregard for its seriousness and I don't think it can be cured but she obviously goes through as with a lot of chronic conditions goes through good good patches and, and bad patches I think and the, obviously the medication helps a lot um, but um, yeah it must be really scary to yeah I know you've had it for a long time and it is but um, but the film isn't yeah the film isn't kind of films positive the punk okay. singer rather than a negative like I yeah I watch it when I want to feel better and yeah inspiring she's just a very inspiring person and um obviously she shows she shows herself in this film at her kind of weakest as a point to highlight misconceptions about the about the disease but um yeah she's she's got through it and she continued creating music and it yeah that's it's positive um and it's also through this film that I discovered um Kathleen Hanna's solo project um which was post Bikini Kill um Julie Ruin which mm. um the self-titled album from 2000 um not 1998 um has now become kind of my favorite album um it was so it's after Bikini Kill, before La Tigre, she just made this solo album and it's mm. kind of an incredible mix of electronic samples and Kathleen's raw vocals, um, all kind of home recorded, um, which then kind of led to her forming La Tigre and wanting to take kind of quite a different direction from Bikini Kill. Um, and her husband Adrock um, describes the album as a fucking masterpiece. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if I could say that. I think you can, actually. I think, you know, um, Kathleen Hanna, not, not just through Bikini Kill, um, but through all of the, you know, the, the bands she's been involved with show just such creativity and just like her music, her ability to adapt and evolve. So, you know, so regardless of... Good health, bad health. She finds a way to to kind of make that work for her, not work for her, but to to just you know to not stop her from doing things. And yeah, so like her music, she's personally evolving, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just think that album, kind of lo-fi DIY mm. sound of it, um, is really quite like innovative and really resonant. Um, and Kathleen kind of just explains wanting it to sound that DIY by and kind of capturing the sound of recording at home by saying girls, yeah. girls' bedrooms can be a space of real creativity, which is kind of, um, yeah, a nice way of talking about kind of teenage girls' bedrooms and, yeah, what you create in them. Um, but, yeah, um, the film ends with a Kathleen Hanna tribute show um, with other musicians like Kim Gordon, who I've mentioned, and J.D. Sampson, who was in La Tigre, mm -hmm. um, covering, they all kind of do covers of her songs and read quotes from her zines from the Riot Girl movement. And it's quite moving because, um, yeah, because Kathleen's there and seeing all these people pay tribute to her um, is obviously, yeah, a pretty moving experience um and that show is also the debut gig for 
the Julie Ruin, which is the band that she now is in and formed kind of as a development of her solo yeah. project um, uh, with Kathy Wilcox from Bikini Kill um, and Carmine Carvelli, Sarah Lando and Kenny Melman. And they kind of combine La Tigra and Bikini Kill sounds into, yeah, something great. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and I've, yeah, I've been lucky enough to see them twice. And uh, yeah, I saw them a few years ago at Coco and that was probably my favourite gig of all time. Um, yeah. They played Apt Number no. 5, which is, yeah, my favourite song. Um, they obviously seeing Bikini Kill last year was near nearly top of the list as well. Well, we we were there we as were well, there. and I think I think pretty much everyone we know was at that gig. Yeah. It was like a big kind of like kind of a reunion for people I hadn't seen in years, and uh, just yeah, it it was crazy because I mean what's what's it's like two thousand five hundred capacity of Brixton Academy I think something like that. It's huge, and I don't know just to see so many familiar faces uh was just so I think, wonderful i think i remember we bumped into you near the bar yeah oh we did we did yes yes that we did that, that sounds about right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i showed up went straight to the bar it was fashionably late was that or was that a sleater kinney actually Oh, no, it was Sleater Kinney. It was Sleater Kinney. Maybe that was Sleater Kinney. I was at the bar at both of them. (laughs) I feel feel like maybe maybe we saw you there at both, but I'm not sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, Yeah, they were both quite like like a family get together, like just seeing really familiar faces. Um, Yeah, really good. And Big Joni supported both of them. I was just about to say that. Big Joni, (laughs) awesome, awesome band. Yeah, they're. Uh, so I think I first saw Big Joni at Nambuka a few years ago. They were supporting um, a band called Skinny Girl Diet, who were also oh yeah 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 they're great um, yeah yeah so yeah that was it was great to see them see them there and then a few weeks later or a few months later I saw them headline at Moth Club, which yeah they mm. have it selling out Moth Club was yeah a really great moment for them I'm sure and it was yeah. Yeah, shout out to Big Joni. We all love you. <laughs> cool. I think with that, shall we play? Because um, I I didn't come armed with a track this week. My bad. Um, and so I think Mari's got another track for us to play. Cool. Um, yeah, I've got a track by Cheerbleeders um, called "Sometimes I Cry at Work," which is a song I relate to you sometimes I think I think we all can I think we can all relate to that (laughs) um and cheerleaders uh features members of happy accidents and Finnish flag who have played for us at the Finsbury last year um and this this single sometimes I cry at work um just is filled with the tracks kind of scuzzy hooks and sugar sweet vocals and twinkling emotion and it just kind of cheers me up when I do feel like crying at work um it's really uplifting um so yeah and cheerbleeders new EP lobotomy is out now via Alco Pop Records so you should definitely if you like the sound of this check that out um yeah here is cheerbleeders with sometimes I cry at work Yeah. 
that was Cheerbleeders, Sometimes I Cry at Work. Um, that, an awesome track. That was a really, really cool track. I think it's got a really nice summer feel to it. Road trip feel. Really, really like that song. And uh, yeah, I, I've cried at work many times, normally through being hung over and hiding in a toilet and thinking, oh my God, why did I do this? How am I going to get through the day? I yeah. really want to hug right now, but I can't ask anyone. And certainly now I can't ask anyone, can I? If I if I go back to work and there's social distancing, I, you know, air hugs, air hugs, they're a bit shit, aren't they, really? You know? <laughs> Who wants an air hug? No, not the same. But they're a great band. So they're obviously on all the social media platforms and do check them out on Spotify, stream their stuff. But like I said before, um, if you can afford to do so, and I fully appreciate it's not just in the UK, like globally, we've been fucked over by COVID-19. If you can afford to buy music, please do buy an independent artist's music. Right, so... What are um, you going to talk about, Angela? What am I going to talk about? Well, you haven't told I, me. No, I haven't told you. So it's going to be a complete surprise. So I thought rather than one story, don't don't worry, this is not going to be a long thing. I, say, I've I thought just, I'd do multiple stories. My heart just went for a second then. Like, I'm going to be here all fucking night. No, you won't, <laughs> Kerry. God, you've little faith in me. Um, so... This episode's coming out on the 26th of May, so I thought I would do something a bit different um, when recording the show. And I popped over to the website This Day in Music, where you can enter any date and it brings up the results of things that have happened on a variety of years of, of note, uh, music-wise, that is. So I typed in the 26th of May. Lots of results came up. Very exciting results. And I decided to pick the 26th of May, 1990. How exciting. You did sound excited there, Kerry. But actually, it's a really good one. Because did you know, for the first time ever, the top five positions on the US singles chart were held by women on the 26th of May, 1990? Oh, that is quite cool. I mean, it's it's a really cool fact to have found, but... um. It's actually quite shocking, isn't it, really? Cool. I mean, it's a cool fact. It's not necessarily... It's, like, not actually cool that Mm. it wasn't until then that that happened, but it's a cool fact. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, it's it's quite late, isn't it, 1990? Um, I mean, I then wanted to go off on a tangent on uh, about female headliners of festivals and and things, but I'll have to save that for another episode. Uh, Yeah, so with that show, I... Jive? Dive? Straight in. Top five positions in the US single charts on May 26th, 1990. Uh, who do you think they those positions were held by? Uh, Annie Lennox? Uh, Kerry, do you do you have a guess? Uh, my, I can't, literally cannot think of a single human. <laughs> Someone who made music in the 80s. Anyone. Hey, but a Bush. female. Nope. One more guess, because this could go on all night. Kerry, I need an answer. Uh, Madonna? Correct! Yeah! <laughs> yeah, that's not Madonna. That sounds more like Michael Jackson. We don't want to go off <laughs> on a rant about go him. Down, let's not go but down that road That's again. happened twice in a show and I've edited it out. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's... Um, 
We're not going to talk about him. I, I get quite The point angry. is, was that the second time today that I've been right about something? <laughs> yes, it was. Actually, I've been, I've had a few like real like kind of, oh my God, I feel like my head's going to explode like Stressed Eric, which Stressed Eric is, is a cartoon character who at the end of each episode, Vane bulges in the head so much that his head explodes. And I've kind of felt a bit stressed and um, care, like, and also really distracted, like really found it difficult to concentrate on things. And Kerry gave me some advice as in, you know, set, even if it's just like an hour, for that hour you're only working on this and set an alarm um, or something and then move on to the next thing. But just to keep you focused and then make sure you set time aside each day that you go for a walk and blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, I did that today and I felt a lot better, although I don't now because I got sunburnt. But um, so <laughs> you could say she had good advice, but she didn't tell me to put suntan lotion on. Suntan, sun protection, sunscreen. Well, I feel, I, feel like, I feel like the day I gave you the advice was not necessarily a sunny day. But the point we need to focus on is that twice today you've told me that I was right, which pretty much never happens. So this is a I big can give you compliments. Me. I can give you compliments. I give not, you compliments. Not, not that it never happens that I'm right, but it will never happen that Angela will admit that I'm right. <laughs> oh, well, it's on air now, darling, isn't it? You know, some, know. sometimes, sometimes, rarely, rarely, Kerry is right. And I'll admit is, that when this, she is this on is those big... very rare, rare occasions... You know, as much as you're trying to backtrack, it's a big day for me. So I'm going to enjoy it. I'm glad we've made a thing of it. You can now continue your story. <laughs> the other thing you were right about, actually, was us... Because um, Bug Eye had a single out recently called When the Lights Go Out. And we wrote the music together in a rehearsal room, like sort of jamming. And we we did... Do you remember we did like some yeah, yeah, keyboard bits and, and all, all, sort, all sorts of stuff that then got rewritten by the others because they were like, that's awful what you've written. But, um, <laughs> but the, the basics of the song was there. And I don't know, it was one of those songs that I just thought, nah, I don't know, I can't think of any vocals for it. I think we should just shelve it. And Carrie was like, no, stick with it. Think about it. She said, go for a walk, set an alarm. No, she didn't say that. But, um, <laughs> but no, but... You I've know, only got it, one piece it's of now advice. One of <laughs> It's now one of Bug Eye's singles. It's been getting loads of airplay and, uh, yeah. My days. Apparently it's um, from our record label. It was like their favourite song of our uh, debut album that's coming out in and July. Think, and think about, how, I think about how much time has gone by since that and it's taken until now for Angela to admit that I was right about it. <laughs> so You were right that. about about pursuing it. But when we came to selecting singles, I don't think either of us picked that song. I can't remember to be honest with you. Um, anyway. It's a great song. It's a oh, great song. Thank you, well done, Bug Eye. <laughs> As someone not in Bug Eye, I can I can say that. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Mari's um always supported Bug Eye and uh that's that's how we sort of became friends was you know through sending stuff in sending stuff in to get in her ears and uh, just really wanting them to feature us and they finally did and uh I don't know, we then just sort of she, she she's moved to Croydon where I live now so um, yeah she's it's like she's part of the family sort of like sort of yeah. mu- mutual fandom turned to friendship yeah yeah fans of each other yeah yeah exactly exactly and there's been many a uh, getting you know meeting up for a quick drink and then still being there at closing I think we've got 
kind of thrown out of places. <laughs> I think so, yeah. And I've started doing my, my one eye thing where I can only focus and see if I close one eye. <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm just waiting for the right day to bust out some pictures of that, Angela. Never, ever, ever posting waiting. those, Kerry. Just waiting for the right day. <laughs> She's got blackmail material. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> but actually, they, you know what? For people that are at our Patreon, <laughs> we've got a Patreon site, which is patreon.com, and we've got different tiers of membership of that. And there are bonus podcasts, music, videos, all sorts of stuff. And there's now going to be really embarrassing pictures of me. I'm saying right. you can post them on there, but only on there. Bum, bum, bum. And, and you, need to, you need to do the thing where, where they can't be downloaded, although people could screenshot them shit. <laughs> Fuck, I've said they'll be on there now. Anyway, yes, so if you want to see those and lots of other exclusive random stuff, please join us on Patreon. And we promise to be good to you with lots of extra special treats, including free CDs and merchandise and stuff, depending on what tier, of course. But, um, you know, we're we're fairly fairly cheap about these things, so open to offers. Anyway, um, so I'm going to do the top five positions on the US single charts that were held by women on the 26th of May 1990. And don't worry, I'm not going to do all of the artists' backstories because we will actually be here all night. I'm just going to focus on the songs and hopefully share some interesting facts with you all um okay it's so getting stuck in should i start with one or five obviously number five yeah that's you that fool. was a really stupid question <laughs> so number five was janet jackson with ah, escapade cool do you know yeah. that song i don't i don't think so no but um I know Janet Jackson. I, I also you... remember vaguely being a kid and there being this whole rumour that Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson were actually the same person, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is brilliant. But anyway, um, I've got three points to make about this, like facts that I think are kind of interesting about Janet Jackson. Um, so Janet is the youngest of nine Jackson children, actually, and she was only three years old when her brothers became pop stars as the Jackson Five, topping the charts with their first record, I Want You Back. Um, but as she was growing up, I mean, we all know that the Jackson Five's dad was their, their manager. But what, what I didn't realise was I knew he was quite a stern person. But Janet, at even a young age, got into big trouble if she ever called her dad dad. He was just like... He was like the businessman and his children were basically his asset. So, yeah, I just, mm, such a... It's quite sad. Horrible thing. I didn't say all these facts were nice, by the way, but... um, Her albums, The Velvet Rope and All For You, were banned by the government in Singapore for sexual content and homosexual references. Which, again, I find quite shocking because that really, really wasn't that, that long ago at all. Anyway, um... Point three of Janet Jackson. Uh, I don't know if you... Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I've made a real mistake in my notes. I said, in 1814... <laughs> Probably okay, not she when wasn't you alive. <laughs> This was what people did in 18... 18- no, it's not. The key... Wa- what I should have said was the key worn on Janet Jackson's ear 
on the cover of the Rhythm Nation 1814 album, that's what it was called, um, was a key to an animal cage on the Jackson's um, family estate. Despite growing up in a house full of siblings, when Janet needed shoulder to cry on, she visited her animals in the backyard. She told Melody Maker, When I was younger and I was depressed or wanted to cry, I used to go to talk to the animals. They're good listeners and I always felt they understood. And sometimes I still do that. I talk to my dog. You know, I almost want to do, if I can get over my Michael Jackson thing, uh, I almost want to do an episode on the Jackson family because... I think it's quite tragically sad, their upbringing. I find that them fascinating, as I'm sure that's that's what most people do. Um, but also there's just such a wealth mm. of talent there and a mystery around, around the family. So I think it could be quite an interesting episode. And I just want to say also that Janet Jackson was incredibly talented and I do find the headlines of... Was Janet Jackson really Michael Jackson? Just quite disturbing. And was that really a way to play down um, a successful woman's um, credibility by saying that it couldn't possibly be her? It had to be her brother. Okay, so that was Janet Jackson. So moving on to number four, which I have to say is probably one of my favourites on this list. Um, Do you know the vocal group Wilson Phillips? No. You'd certainly know the song and I'll have to put it on playlist. But so... Number four at this this moment in time was Wilson Phillips with the song Hold On. And uh, Wilson Phillips were an American vocal group. So it was three three girls um, and they were called Wilson Phillips, which is basically two of them were Wilsons and one of them surname was Phillips. And that's why they were called that. When I was researching this, I jumped onto YouTube just to sort of take a look at some some music videos of these these artists from the, the uh, top five chart positions and so when I was looking at Wilson Phillips song Hold On I found the music video which I have to say is beautiful um, it is so 80s it's great I mean yes this was 1990 when it came out but you know practically still the 80s I mean it's there's the hair is incredible the costumes are incredible and really inappropriate like there's there's them sat on a beach in like really posh black cocktail dresses it's like they're taking a break from from working someone's party or something or or they just got they misread the memo and showed up in the wrong outfits (laughs) it just really doesn't fit at all there's them on a mountain like a snowy mountain in like little thin jackets there's them on the rockies in in beautiful waistcoats um i think i think my sister actually had a waistcoat um yeah at that at that time that was probably jealous of (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. So I'll definitely put links to so, that in um, So they're just a, the ba- they're a band marked by bad clothing choices, is what you're saying? No, no, no. They're, they've got great songs. They've got great songs too. It's just with this video, it's just so typically 80s. There is no rhyme, no reason as to why they're in those locations. Is that relevant? Like it, I mean, the thing is, it was probably quite inexpensive video shoot for the number of locations there's just it just really doesn't add anything it's just so weird it's it's a video of its time so i definitely think you need to check it out but the song is awesome it's a really good song it's not you know i'm not knocking them as musicians at all they clearly knew what they were doing um and you know i suppose for them at the time it was it was almost like what you would call 
an indie band, but not an indie band. Like, I don't think they were like a typical pop vocal group of the time, but their songs were really catchy as hell. And unfortunately, they had like three hits. But um, I'm going to just talk a little bit about them. So, um, Shana Phillips wrote the song's lyrics while battling substance abuse, as well as being in a really bad relationship. She explained to Kelly Clarkson in an interview. I just said that if I don't change my course, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, Phillips based the lyrics of the principles taught in AA, specifically the idea that things had to be taken one day at a time. So, you know, for this to be like a really poppy chart song, but really have, you know, it was, it's quite a fun song to listen to, but it actually has like dark lyrics in there, but with positivity as well. Uh, but I found that quite interesting. But also one of the things a lot of people probably don't know is um, that Wilson Phillips first appeared in 1990, flaunting a harmony-rich sound that helped send three singles from their first album, Hold On, Release Me and You're In Love, to the top of the Billboard charts. Carney Wilson, Wendy Wilson and Shanae Phillips comprised the vocal trio, whose sudden success was matched by an equal impressive ped- pedigree which I wish people didn't mention this because those songs were really well written and were written by them and were great songs. They did collaborate with producers and writers as well, much as most artists do. But it seems that in a lot of articles, people feel that they kind of need to take the success of parents and and label that as a key factor. And like when we talked about Lily Allen in an episode, that's not always the case. Um, people should be treated on their own individual merit for songwriting and uh, for getting somewhere but the two Wilson sisters had grown up in California with their father beach boy band leader Brian Wilson and they often made um, appearances on his albums throughout childhood and Shania's parents Kerry listen up on this one okay I'm, I'm listening yeah yeah were John and Michelle Phillips of the folk rock band the Mama, Mamas and Papas uh- Actually, I said that. Although I missed, I think I missed the word "parents" out there. No, you didn't. You said parents. Did I not? Okay, I just thought I said they were. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, I mean, despite growing up alongside such icons, the girls first pursued separate careers in acting and modelling, only turning to music when Shanae, having been influenced by Band Aid and Farm Aid, suggested they make a charity record with other children of famous musicians. The project fell through, but it also brought three girls together and they formed Wilson Phillips in the process, which I thought was quite quite nice, really. Then number three um, is Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You. Fantastic. We talked about this on, on a show recently. We did. Um, and and I, just, I just want to sort of reel off a few facts, one of which we've already mentioned on another show, but part of this fact I, I didn't include... So when Sinead cried in the video, it was a real tear. And in Rolling Stone's Top 500 Songs issue, she said, I didn't intend for that moment to happen, but when it did, I thought I should let this happen. Um, And then she told the Daily Telegraph in 2014 that the tear was triggered because she associated the song's lyrics by, um, you know, of love and loss of her mother, um, who was killed in a car accident in 1985. It's really sad. This song was actually hit in 17 countries, 
Um, in the US, it was one of the top songs of 1990, topping the Hot 100 for four weeks. So, yeah, it's pretty good. And did you know that Aretha Franklin covered this song on her 2014 album, Aretha Franklin Sings the Great Divas Classics? It would be quite different from the original. Well, exactly, yeah. She totally would have spun her own her own style into that. So I'd be interested to hear that. Um so number two, and this is another favourite because of the music video, um, which I'm going to show. It just made me smile. So this song's called Heart. No, it's not. The band's called Heart. And the song is called All I Want to Do Is Make Love To You. Have you seen the video? No. Oh, it's it's a thing. of It's, it's like they're clinging on to the 80s desperately, even though this is 1990 now. It's beautiful. It's like... Um, the hair, the big hair, the smoke machine. There's driving in a car in the rain. There's picking up a hitchhiker in a leather jacket and white T-shirt. It's very kind of um, Levi's advert-esque. Um, or, or like, I don't know, actually very 90s in the Beverly Hills 90210 Luke Perry look. It's tacky. It's beautiful. And the song is great, actually. So great song. It's brilliant. Um, and so it was a success, spending two weeks at number two on the US Billboard chart. Um, but it was kept from the top spot by my number one artist, which I'm not going to say right now who that is. I'll reveal it in a minute, but I think you might have guessed. Given well, I already guessed it, didn't I? Someone already mentioned it, yeah. But the <laughs> listeners have probably forgotten because it was like a month ago. No, they haven't. Because then we had like long. a 10-year conversation about how right I was. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it actually reached... Um, so it peaked at number eight in the UK charts. Um, and it was it was their last top 10 hit in the UK, actually. And it reached number one in Canada and Australia. It also reached number one in Sweden in May of 1991. So it was a, a song that had like a really long shelf life, which which songs used to have actually back then. You didn't have to put out a single every few weeks or a couple of months. You could have a single that just stuck around for a really long time. Um, but it was also nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Pop Group Vocal Performance. And it's the only one of Hart's singles to have been certified gold by the RIAA. Um and then it also mentions a chart that I've never heard of and it just brings up visions of things I don't want to think about. On the adult contemporary chart, <laughs> the song climbed to number six, becoming the third of Hart's top ten AC hits. Um, and the other two were um, These Dreams and Alone. I was so pleased to to be able to mention Hart, but I do, I do think they're one of the forgotten groups of 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 pop music and you know at the time they were fairly big and you know to be nominated for awards and winning awards and and charting three songs in that way is actually you know I mean these days how many bands can hang their hat on that not not many actually um anyway should we do number one um <laughs> so number one was Madonna but Kerry, and I hope you haven't Googled this, and I bet you have, because your oh, eyes have been I down. I haven't, I haven't. Your eyes have been have. down. Now I'm going to like speed Google. No, look at me, look at me, look at me, no, look at me, Kath and Kim, Google. look at me. 
So what song was it, Kerry? And if you answer the correct answer, I know that you've been Googling. I'm not, I'm not Mari's even also looking down. I'm not going to let you guess, Kerry, because I can tell, look, she's biting her lip. She's looking, she's <laughs> typing. She's mistyping. Just, she's t- just say what it is. Just say what it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Madonna with Vogue. Ah. Yeah. Nice. Facts about Vogue. Would you like to hear some? Go for it. I've got three. The song was originally written as a B-side to Keep It Together, a single release in America only. However, when it was played to record company executives, they decided that the song was too good to waste and, uh, you know, to waste as a B-side and wanted to put that out as a single. And of course they did. Fact number two, it was a good reason. It was a good thing they did do that because commercially the song remains one of Madonna's biggest international hits topping the charts in over 30 countries, including Australia, Canada, Japan, the United Kingdom, and, of course, the United States. Um, Also did fantastically well in Europe. Uh, My other fact was the video was directed by David Fincher. And David Fincher also directed Alien 3. He directed Seven. Do you remember that one? The creepy mm-hmm. one, the head in the box. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. that is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, Fight Club and Zodiac, which I think Zodiac was probably one of the not so good films. It was about the Zodiac, I yeah, think it was. I... Anyone that says another Zodiac thing. Was it the San Francisco Zodiac killer yeah, film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree out of that list, that one is not so good. But he also directed um, videos for Madonna's Express Yourself, Oh Father and Bad Girl. So that was my segment on A Day in Music featuring the top five positions in the US charts for the first ever time being women. So that was the 26th of May 1990. And like I say, it was a pretty landmark event that had never, ever happened before in history. And then I tried to look up whether that had been the case in the UK or like when that had happened in the UK. But um, I just I just ran out of time researching. But I'm definitely going to look into that because I think that would be quite a fascinating thing to do. And also, um, maybe for the next episode, I might look at the, um, the, the issue of female headliners and who the first female headliner of a festival was. But, um, but yeah, that, that needs to, I think that needs to be its own show just because... Um, that will take me a long time to look at because there's no obvious, yeah, yeah, for sure. obvious answer to that. But um, wonder how many times it's happened since. Like how many times yeah. we dominated the top? Yeah, or, for or sure. even 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 in the top fifty. Like how how did it? You know, how many artists? Like how has it spread? What's, yeah, what's now? like the percentages? You yeah, know, the percentage ex- exactly. And then also with that. And this was one of the things I wanted to do, which which will be like a spreadsheet thing, I feel, coming on number crunching, of hits versus festival headline yeah, slots. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Be interesting. Because I just keep we keep hearing, and we all know this, um, people go, there aren't enough female artists, blah, 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 right? Um, and that's why we don't book them, because they don't exist, and they do. Um, and they clearly have done. Um, admittedly, there's not as as many as men, and the reason why I say that 
is because there hasn't been enough opportunities for women to be signed. So the sheer number of women that do break through versus men, you've got to actually say, oh, well, actually, the fact that few of them are, are signed and the fact that they've climbed to this and done that is absolutely incredible. And actually, yeah. It all, and it all sort of feeds into each other, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, the, the fewer get signed, the fewer that are there to, to take those positions and then the fewer there are to see, to be inspired by, to yep. get more people to take up instruments and, and to get there themselves. So could have, yeah, I could talk about that for for hours. But yeah, so I, I suppose I suppose we should end off. Um, just like to say, if you've got a story you want us to cover or an artist that you want us to play or to explore and see if we like them enough to play, then please do email us at rockpoprambles at gmail and check us out on Twitter at Bug Eye Band or on Facebook at Bug Eye Music. And then also Patreon if you're feeling a bit flush. <clears throat> Membership starts from just £3. No, not not even pounds, three, $3. So yeah, head on to patreon.com slash bugeye. And for your free pounds, you'd get free music, access to bonus podcast episodes with stories, <laughs> photos, and and you'll all be treated to a beautiful things. picture of a very drunk Angela in the back of a cab. So it's worth every penny. Behind the scenes photos. Um, was it in the boot boot of a car? Wasn't it? No, no. no. What do you you think you're in the boot looked, of a it car? It looked like a boot of a car because I'm surrounded no. by equipment. Yeah, but no, that was all. Oh my god, you don't even remember. It was no, just I don't. absolutely don't. <laughs> it was just no. It's just in the back of a cab. We put all the equipment in the back of the cab, and then you just decided to launch yourself into it <laughs> to sort of <laughs> sit on and amongst it. Um, and I took some beautiful pictures of you. So, well, there you go. Um, another amazing moment in the life of, of Bug Eye on tour. And Bug Eye on tour. <laughs> Anyway, so I think that's it for this evening. But do pop on over to Patreon because we will be doing a bonus episode. So do come and have a listen of us in the lock-in. Okay, so I think that's it for now. So thanks, Mari, for joining us. Thank, Thank you for having me. Um, okay, so I think, I think that's it for now. So over and out.